Good morning. I'm going to make a disclaimer. I probably won't hold it together either. Uh, I'll blame it on Wade and Greg. And it's interesting that Nalia was the only one that, that held it together. Let's pray. this morning. I just pray that you would teach each one of us, comfort each one of us, encourage each one of us, and Lord, give us ears that listen to your words. In your name, amen. Well, James, we're almost at the final chapter, almost at the final verse. We've, we've come through James and been taught about very, a great deal of things. Particularly in this chapter, we've been taught about patience, about not grumbling, about being mature disciples of Christ. And he's given us heaps of information. He's given us directives that we need to follow. And now he's saying that we need to pray for others. He's telling us to pray for others. In my third and final year of Bible college at the start of the year, I, I did a, a prayer intensive where, where we spent the whole week learning about prayer, about different types of prayer, um, and of course we spent time praying, praying both for ourselves and for others. And at, at one particular small group um, at the end of the day, I had the opportunity to pray for a guy who had explained that he was struggling with a couple of different things. And these things were testing his patience. And, and I prayed that, that the Lord would give him patience. That God would give him patience to, to deal with the things that he needs to deal with. And, and at that time he sort of let out a little chuckle. And after the end of the prayer, after our time had finished, I asked him, why did you chuckle? And he said, well, whenever someone prays for patience, God doesn't give them patience. God gives them opportunities for their patience to grow. <laughs> we, we quite often can pray things like, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now, can't we? As we break into our passage this morning, James starts off with a therefore. I'm going to give you a, a little tip. Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, when you're reading through, especially if it's the start of your passage that you're reading, you need to go back and see what it is there for. Do you get it? Oh. This little bit refers to, to verse 15 the second half of verse 15. And it says, And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So James then goes, Therefore, you must confess your sins. Therefore, you must confess your sins in order for there to be forgiveness. In order for there to be forgiveness, there needs to be confession. And what confession does is it aligns our hearts and our minds with God. 
What confession does is enables us to see our sin as disgusting, deplorable, as dirty, and as the one thing that gets in the way of our relationship with God and with others. You see, sin is almost like a a gulf of water that we cannot swim across, shark-infested waters. Or it's almost like a a 20-foot or 20-metre concrete barrier that, that gets in the way of our relationship with God and with others. And it muddies up the water of our relationships with others in the church as well. Without confession, there can be no forgiveness. Without confession, there can be no restoration of relationships within the the church. You see, how can we expect a holy and righteous God to communicate with us if we're not going to be 100% honest with him in our communication with him and with others in the church? James is not just saying that we should come together every week and everyone should stand up the front here and and confess every little sin to each other. There's different types of sins. Sin is sin. Don't get me wrong here. Sin is sin. But there's different types of sins in how it affects God and our relationship and how it affects those within the church as well. I want to sort of break them into three different types of sins in in how it reflects relationships within the church. There's private sins, the sins that only you and God knows about. And then there's individual sins where you might sin against someone else in the church, just one other person. And then there's corporate or community sins where you might sin against a group of people. And these can be very different different sort of sins. And each of those individual or private or corporate sins requires a different kind of confession. Not each one of them requires a, a confession from up here at the front. Each one of them requires just either going to that one person that you've sinned against or going to the group of people, or or just going to God and confessing your sins. You see, like I've said, sin can not only damage our relationship with God, but it also damages relationships within the church. If we offend other people within the church, we damage that relationship. If we are not real or honest with the, each other in the, ch- in the church, it affects our relationships. James goes on in verse 16 to say that the purpose of this confession is so that you may be healed. He says, I'll read it to you. He says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That's the whole purpose of the the confession. It is to heal relationships and heal our desire to be sinful. He's saying, don't just come together and and wallow in your sinfulness and, 
and say, oh, I'm the worst sinner in the room this morning. Have pity on me. He's saying, come together and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So that you may be healed from the desire to continue in your sin. So that you may be healed within your relationships in the church. And so that your relationship with God can be healed. You see, the healing this week is a little different to the, the saving that was mentioned last week in, in reference to the sick person. The sick person was to be saved after he was prayed for, he or she. And yet this morning, our sinful person is to be healed. It's a little bit interesting, isn't it? Sinfulness, I want to say, is a lack of faith. Each one of us exhibit lack of faith, a lack of faith when we, when we sin. We exhibit a lack of faith in the, the goodness of God, in the holiness of God, and in his provision for us as well. And coming before God and confessing our sins is a necessary step to that relationship being restored. For me to stand up here and, and confess my sins, I would have to really lower myself before you this morning, wouldn't I? So confessing your sins is, is a really humbling experience. It's an experience where you'll probably cry and you'll basically just come before this person and, and, and just say, I've offended you, I've done something wrong. I'm not as good as I thought I was. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, Luke talks about the two men that go to the temple to pray. And he talks about them basically two opposites. There's a Pharisee that, that, um, that stands up there and, and he says how good he is. And then there's a tax collector that, that doesn't even lift his eyes up and he, he says, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'll read verse 13 and 14 in Luke 18. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I, then, I tell you, then this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector humbles himself and confesses his sin, confesses his need for a saviour. Did you see the last little bit in there that Jesus says? I tell you, this man went away justified rather than the other. Confessing your sins leads to forgiveness, which then leads to justification. To be declared justified is to, to be declared righteous in the sight of God. 
Google told me that, not, not any theology book. But to be declared righteous in the sight of God is something that not, not we can do. We cannot do. To be declared righteous in the sight of God is only being able to be done by God. God is the one who sets that benchmark, who makes a person righteous and who is able to declare that person righteous. If we are the ones saying, I tithe 10% of all of my income, I am not like other men out in the community, I do this and I do that. I lead a Bible study. I do this. All we're doing is making ourselves self-righteous, aren't we? All we're doing is I'm making the benchmark for righteousness. I am making the one saying who is righteous and who is not. And that's not our job. That's not our position because... Every time we do that, we take the position of God. Don't be self-righteous. James says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working in the second half of verse 16. And he illustrates this with Elijah. Peter stole my thunder this morning in the children's story. But Elijah did some really cool things. His, his story is in 1 Kings 17 to 19. And, um, and then in 2 Kings chapter 2, he departs this earth in a, in such a miraculous way without dying. He caused a drought for three and a half years and then broke that drought, as James says, with a simple prayer. Maybe we should get Elijah to come to Queensland. But Elijah does some amazing things on top of that. He meets a widow who is is basically going home to eat her last morsel of food and then die. And he asks her for food. Kind of crazy, isn't it? But she says to him, I have no food. I'm going home to eat the last little bit with my son and die. And he says to her, that flour and that oil will not run out. Later on, he then brings the the widow's son back to life. Um, There's the big prayer battle with the prophets of Baal. You've probably all learnt that in Sunday school or something. Where there's 450 prophets of Baal and they're crying out all day, Baal, hear us, Baal, hear us. And they end up hearing nothing and yet Elijah prays a simple prayer and fire comes down from from heaven consumes his sacrifice and his altar and the rocks of the altar and the water on the altar and it's all gone just by a simple prayer and all of these things were done through prayer And yet, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. James says that. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And yet, he can accomplish these great things. Even though Elijah has moments of 
of greatness, of miraculous um, intensity, of, of a great time with, with God and proving God to those who are around, are around him. Elijah has moments of weakness as well. He has moments of humanness. In chapter 19 of 1 Kings, verses 3 and 4, I've got it marked, but you may need to look up the table of contents. Verse 3 and 4, he says, Then he, that is Elijah, he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down underneath a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than, the fa- than, than my father's. Elijah has moments of weakness where he's afraid, where he runs for his life, where he has self-pity and, and says, woe is me, and even asks for his life to be taken away. Even amongst all these amazing and great things, there's a great thing, there's a moment of weakness, there's a great thing and a moment of weakness in Elijah's life. It's quite incredible and yet James uses him as an illustration for greatness. No, he uses, uses Elijah for an illustration of Elijah is just like us. Elijah can accomplish these things through prayer to God and yet he's just like us. You see, in James's kind of thought, Elijah is justified and righteous because of his faith in God. Let's go back to James chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. That's not James, that's Ephesians. James chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So Elijah is justified by his faith in God, his faith in God to accomplish these great things because it's to God that Elijah prays, not anyone else. I would like to say that it's our position as well this morning. If we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ we are declared righteous. If we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we are declared righteous. And that is a gift from God, no one else. You see, that sin that separates us is so wide and so vast and so high 
the sin that separates us from God could only be done by the initiation, could only be accomplished by the initiation of God, initiative of God. So there was no way of us being righteous on our own. It's only God's grace to us through Jesus Christ that we have been declared righteous. Galatians 3 verse 11 says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. In our passage this morning, the process is kind of like a little bit of a mathematical equation. Forgiveness is an assurance... Sorry. We have assurance of forgiveness through confession. We have assurance of our righteousness in Christ through that forgiveness. And we can have assurance of our prayers being effective and being, being um, heard if we follow that process. I'm not going to stand up here this morning and tell you that we need to pray more. We, we need to pray more. We need to pray for others. We need to do this. You already know that. There's already room in each of our lives for a continued uh, increase in our prayer lives. But James is saying that we need to have the faith in our prayers being heard and being effective because of our position in Christ. Because of the righteousness that comes from Christ, we can have great and effective prayers. Like I said, the process is confession for forgiveness, which leads to righteousness, righteousness, which leads to healing from our sinfulness and that desire to continue in our sin. And confession and righteousness aligns us with God's heart. It aligns us with God's heart and mind for our lives. So we won't be praying prayers that are, are contrary to what he desires of us. We won't be praying prayers for a fast car and a big house. We'll be praying for others in a way that is, is very biblically accurate. And we need to stand on the, the truth that James conveys to us this morning about confession leading to forgiveness. Forgiveness leading to healing and righteousness. Righteousness leading to effective prayers. Prayers that will glorify God and not ourselves. Do I need to repeat that? The Apostle Paul was a big prayer warrior. I love reading through his letters and and looking at the way he prays for those in the church that he helped planted. And, and for those that are, um, that were his helpers, so to speak. And throughout his letters, 
which includes Hebrews, controversially. Throughout his letters in the New Testament, prayer is mentioned 55 times. There's 55 verses in Paul's letters that mention prayer. Whether that be prayer in terms of, um, I pray for you, Paul prays for the church, or prayer in terms of pray for one another. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. This is one of the examples of how Paul prays for his church. Chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I love reading Paul's prayers. Like I said, I love reading the way that he prays for his church in the way that they would understand the depth and the height and the length and the breadth of what God has done through Jesus Christ. Seems quite fitting to finish with a prayer this morning, doesn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the position that we have in Christ that was bought at such a price. And it's not of our own doing because, Lord, we are sinful human beings. We have moments of weakness and lack of faith and and actions that lead to relationships ruined. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of these sins, that we would stand in your righteousness. Lord, I thank you for your grace towards us in sending Jesus to to make us your righteousness. And Lord, help us to pray for one another this week. Help us to be able to remember how to pray for different people. That they would continue to grow in their faith and their relationship with you. But also that we would pray for the physical things and help them through our actions. Lord, I thank you for the the position that we have in Christ. Help us to stand on the truth that we have, that our prayers can be powerful and effective. Pray these things in your name. Amen.